While we were marching through Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The Alaman left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe. Promenade that pretty gal to Georgia. One of the first episodes of this podcast told two stories involving railroads and crime, the great locomotive chase of the Civil War, and the story of Bill Miner. Miner was born George Anderson in Kentucky in 1843 and traveled through many different places under a lot of different names. He worked in the gold fields of California, rode for the Pony Express, and then began robbing stagecoaches. He's most known for train robbery in British Columbia and for a few jailbreaks that enabled him to leave Canada for the States. In 1911, he committed his last train robbery, robbing the Southern Railway's train number 36 outside White Sulphur Springs, just north of Gainesville. I mention his capture in the episode, but just recently came across a few more details, and it makes a good story. So this is Moving Through Georgia, Series 3, Episode 8, Bill Miner Revisited. Miner was a fugitive from a few Canadian jails, but traveled throughout the United States. He met Charlie Hunter in Pennsylvania and James Hanford in Virginia. All three men planned to rob a train in the South together. They pawned Bill Miner's watch in Atlanta to buy whiskey and the lantern that they would use to stop the train, and at one point may have picked up a track-laying wrench. Maybe they planned to stop the train by damaging the tracks. My main source for this episode is a book called A North Georgia Journal of History in which the author, Owen Jackson, cites a few newspaper articles that back this story up. So, here's the story. Train number 36 left Atlanta at 12.15 a.m. headed north. At 3.15 a.m. in the vicinity of White Sulphur Springs, the engineer spied a red lantern swinging back and forth up the tracks. He knew this was most likely a signal to stop and assumed that there was some problem further up the line. The engineer brought the train to a stop and jumped down to talk to the man holding the lantern. As he approached, two other men slipped out of the woods on either side of the tracks. The man with the lantern held a gun on the engineer while the other two walked down to the express car. Most likely they intended to separate the express car from the rest of the train so they could rob it without being interrupted by the people in the passenger cars. They do that in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid too. Now a few things happen. The conductor and the signalman who were both near the back of the train began walking forward to see why the train had stopped. The conductor found out what was wrong when the man with the lantern stuck his gun in his face, and both the conductor and the signalman were ordered back to the train. The conductor complied, but as soon as the signalman was out of the robber's sight, he ran for cover and headed for the White Sulphur Springs station. While this is happening, the other two robbers approached the express car. A man named Walter Miller was inside the car, desperately trying to secure anything valuable. Miller made one mistake, he did leave a door unlocked and the two bandits entered and demanded that he open the two safes that were inside the car. He couldn't, cause the keys for the safes weren't kept on the train. Miner had prepared for this and promptly packed dirt and dynamite around the safes. 
when the dynamite exploded, it tore holes in the car, but only opened one safe, the small one. By now, the train had been stopped for a while, and people would start to notice that it was missing, so Miner grabbed what he could from the small safe and took off with his partners into the night. The engineer started the train and brought it to the Lula Depot to report the crime just about the same time the escaped signalman was making a report at White Sulphur Springs. The reports were a little different. One person said three men committed the robbery, one person said five, and different methods of escape were reported to the police. Apparently, the robbers made off with about $1,500 in U.S., Mexican, and some other foreign currencies. There were also a pair of pearl earrings in the safe and a watch. If they had managed to open the larger safe, they would have run off with an additional $65,000. As the next day dawned, the hunt for the robbers began. Bloodhounds were brought from Gwinnett County, but it didn't really help. It might have been raining, and Miner's gang might have also tried to fool the dogs by scattering tobacco and pepper. The Pinkerton Agency joined the chase, as did just about anyone interested in the $1,500 reward posted by the railroad. As the hunt continued around Gainesville, a few people in Dahlonega noticed some new faces among their little mountain town. They had appeared a few weeks previously and were staying in a hotel. The three men claimed to be gold prospectors, but oddly enough, they didn't have any mining equipment with them, and they didn't seem to have any intention or interest to acquire any. A Lumpkin County man reported to the sheriff that three suspicious men were loitering near his farm. A posse was formed, and the sheriff's men rode out to investigate. They took the trail to the farm, and the owner of that farm reported that he did have a male boarder living with them and that he was currently asleep in a loft. The sheriff climbed the ladder to the loft, pulled the blanket back to uncover Bill Miner holding a loaded revolver. When Miner saw that there were other men in the loft who were also armed, he thought better of holding a gun on the sheriff and allowed himself to be taken into custody. At about the same time, his partners were also captured in a different location. Miner was brought to Gainesville to stand trial as people lined the street to see the famous train robber brought to justice. He was the only one to actually be tried. His partners, Hunter and Hanford, both decided to plead guilty and testify against Miner. He was convicted and sentenced to 20 years. Of course, Miner had something to say about the trial. He stood up and announced, When one breaks the law, one must expect to pay the penalty. I am old, but during all my life I have found the golden rule the best guide to men in the world. Well... Miner's career and fame didn't end in that courthouse. He and his confederates were sent to a prison camp in Newton County, but Miner couldn't handle the conditions and was sent to the state prison farm for the infirm in Milledgeville. Remember, though, that Miner came to the States after escaping a few prisons in Canada. Late one night, Miner and two others managed to escape the lower security farm and disappear into the darkness. 
Miner, who seemingly got a taste for fame during the trial, sent a letter to the Milledgeville Prison Farm's warden saying, My dear sir, don't trust a prisoner, no matter how sick he is or makes out he is. He was recaptured within a few days. One of his uh, fellow escapees was actually killed in the process. He was returned to his Milledgeville prison cell where he vowed to escape again. And of course, this boast was taken very seriously, and extra security was put into place to ensure that he couldn't. Well, he did. This time he managed to climb out a window, again with two partners, and grabbed a boat to travel down the Oconee River. One escapee died when the boat capsized, and the remaining two gave themselves up when they eventually emerged from the swamp. Again, people lined the road to see Miner as he was brought back to Milledgeville. He stood in the open car and waved his manacled hands to his admirers, but he wasn't the same man. The days in the swamp drinking contaminated water were too much, and within a few months, he was dead. I want to remind you that Moving Through Georgia is a history podcast that focuses on Northeast Georgia. If you have any questions, comments, complaints, if you just want to drop us a line, it's movingthroughgeorgia at gmail.com. Again, Miner is best known for coining the phrase, hands up, and is better remembered in Canada instead of the American South. Looking back over the previous Bill Miner episode, I find that in this one I've even changed some of the details. How much loot Miner grabbed, how many people were in the loft when he was captured. These are details that have changed through the telling and retelling of the story. What matters is the basic facts and some people willing to listen and remember as you cross the railroad tracks in Gainesville and tell the story of Bill Miner. That's the way we do it down in Georgia. Everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The yellow man left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right left walk on your heel and toe. From an aid that pretty gal to Georgia. That's all. <laughs>